0: Hymn books. This prayer to you. And now, O oh Lord God, you are that God, and your words be true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Therefore, now let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O oh Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Let's pray. Father, our prayer now is that you would open our hearts and minds to the word as we look at this text. Um, our prayer is that you would give us wisdom and guidance in this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. you can be seated. Uh, I don't know what started my fascination with space. Um, I have always loved the stars. The stars for me have always been magnificent. Ever since I, ever since I was a, a small boy, I remember just going outside of the house and looking up and just being amazed at the, at the stars, right, if you live in a really dark area, right, if you live out in the, in the middle of nowhere, as I did often in my childhood, you can see lots and lots of stars when you get away from the lights, and it's, a, it's an amazing reality, right, it's probably one of the reasons why I, I, I just love um, science fiction uh, as, as much as I do, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite constellations of all time is that of Orion. Orion is a, is a beautiful constellation, But do you know that within that constellation there is a specific star, and that star is found in the lower right corner, and it is called Rigel. Rigel is the seventh brightest star in the night sky. It is 120,000 times brighter than our sun. It is 80 times bigger than our sun, and it is 772.9 light years away from us. Right? It's, It's mind blowing. Because when you think about it, although Rigel appears as a single star, right, in Orion, it is actually a star system consisting of both Rigel A and Rigel B. And I'm not just telling you this just so you can have some good information. I do have a point in telling you all this. But in the fact that it is 772 light years away from us, that means that the light that we now see today left Rigel, while the Seventh Crusades were still taking place, and Kublai Khan began the Huan Dynasty in China and in Mongolia. It's an amazing reality to think about, that the light that we now see from Rigel, that that now appears to us, left Rigel that long ago. It's an amazing truth. It's an amazing reality. And yet, no matter how wonderful that may be, no matter how awesome those stars may be, no matter how beautiful the world that we live in is, right, whether we're hiking or, or, or we're exploring or we're kayaking or whatever the case may be that, that we're doing, no matter how beautiful everything is, none of, every bit of this pales in comparison to the beauty and the majesty of God. God is the creator of all that is, and God with but a, with but a phrase, let there be, it, it, it came into existence. And this morning, what I want to do is i want to point us back to where we left off last week, and I want to remind us that there are three certainties from our text about the greatness of God. Let me first remind you from, from the text from last week in, our, in chapter seven verses eighteen through twenty nine that we, we left off with just one with just one certainty, and that is beholding god 's greatness leads you and I. To respond in worship, right? And so we said that because of, of who God is and what God is like and what God has revealed himself to be and to be like and, and his character and his being, that what happens is when he reveals himself, we like David respond in absolute awe and worship for who God is and what God has done. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to pick up from that point and I want us to walk through the last two certainties that our text. Uh, presents to us about the reality of our God and just how great and just how unsurpassable the God that we worship is. So, from our text, I also want us to see that beholding God's greatness leads us to humbly understand God's work on our behalf. The work of God on our behalf—it is an amazing reality. And you say, "Well, where do we see that from?" Well, first and foremost, let me just let me make this assertion. The work of God produces humility within us. You say, well, well, what do you mean? Well, listen, everything that David states here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 29, is about God's sovereign position. God is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely glorious. He is absolutely the sovereign ruler and supreme master of the entire universe. And because he is, the, the, he is of the highest position within the universe, he is transcendent from the universe, that is, he is separate from the universe, he is far above the universe, he is beyond our understanding, and he does not need anything to complete him, he alone is glorious. He is the Lord who holds the highest position. He is the one who is before all and above all. Uh, he is the, the, the God of gods, as David says here. And he says that he is, the, he is the Lord of lords in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. And in Joshua 3, 11 and Psalm 8, to which uh, I think plays when all of this, to what David is saying in here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, is that he is pulling from the reality of Psalm chapter 8 and Joshua 3.11 that calls God the Lord of all the earth. There is nothing that is sovereign, more sovereign than God. As R.C. Sproul said, that there is not a rogue molecule in all the world, in all the earth, in all the universe, there's not a rogue molecule outside, operating outside of the sovereignty of God. And so this morning, I think we need to see and remind ourselves that, that God's work on our behalf really does produce humility because ultimately it is in his work in the cross of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead who robed himself with with human flesh and became our savior that we ultimately understand God's absolute sovereign position in this universe being the king of kings and the lord of lords who has come to redeem his people for himself. He is glorious and he is good and he has humbled himself and calls us now to embrace the work of Christ in humility. The Lord of all the earth, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the one who is above all and before all and over all, this same God has clothed himself in human flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and he now says if you do not humble yourself and come after me and take up your cross you cannot be my disciple. And so God says to us we must understand properly the humility that we are called to. But God also is seen here as in his all of his kingly authority. Because listen to how David speaks. Of the Lord, listen to how David talks of God. listen to how David refers to God not just in his names like the uh the Lord of hosts or uh, uh God or the God of israel or 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 whatever the case uh, the other names he uses, but listen to how he describes what God is like. Your name in verse twenty six be magnified forever, right. And, and and he goes on and he uses several other of these, these realities like, like because of who you are, I have found the strength to pray to you. Right? And, and over and over again, David is constantly reminding uh, himself and the nation of Israel and us this morning of the truth of that, the fact that God is not just sovereign in his position, not just kingly in his authority, but that in being kingly in his authority, he is the supreme master of all. Of All the world of the entire universe, He rules as He wills. He rules according to His purposes. He rules according to His pleasure. He rules for His own glory and for His name's sake and for the good of His people. The Lord does not hold authority like all other authorities upon the earth or even throughout the universe. The Lord, the God of Heaven, is the one supreme authority who rules, governs, and executes justice. As he sees fit, and we know that because he is good, what he does is exercise good authority, good control, good rule. As Isaiah said, so we should say, because God ultimately is our supreme king, he is our ruler, he is the one that we are in submission to, we are called to then, like Isaiah said, so you and I are to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Send me to proclaim your glories and your, your greatness because you understand that, that we, are, we are promised here in this text, in this covenant with David. God is pointing forward, as David will say here in just a moment. He says that, I, that, that you have spoken of my house for a great long while. And we'll talk about what that means here in just a moment. But, but in this, there is a greater fulfillment that is promised ultimately in who? in Christ not in David's faithfulness not in your faithfulness not in my faithfulness not in not in Israel's faithfulness but in Christ in the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and how he has given himself for us He is the one that God has powerfully provided to us because God is the one who is the powerful provider. He is the Lord who is the one who provides everything that his servants need. And particularly here in this text, he promises, or before this text, in chapter 7, David is very, or God is very clear with David the promises that he makes and in the promises that God makes then David is overwhelmed and humbled and he comes and he realizes God's powerful and sovereign provision for his every need ultimately for his physical needs and his physical house but even more importantly in the spiritual reality that is to come in Christ. But in understanding this, we understand in, in, in responding in humility, we also understand that part of our, our part of our humility is grounded in the comprehensive work of God on your behalf and my behalf if we are in Christ. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, here's what I mean by that. God's work can be rightly divided into three different, into three different tenses, if you will. And David here does mention this. David himself points this out. So this isn't something that I'm reading into the text. David is actually points this out in the text because David first and foremost points us to the reality of God's work in the past. In verse 18, what does it say? He says, then went King David in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? David understands that Everything that he has, everything that he's been given has been brought to him by God and God has been faithful to him in the past. David's amazement is in God's faithfulness in bringing him through. And think about this, right? We are speaking of a man who has seen it all. He has been falsely accused. He is, the, the, Saul tried to kill him on multiple occasions, he, um, uh, not just with the spear, but also in pursuing him and with his armies. David has been maligned. David's character has been, dis- has, has been, has been slandered in, in, in outrageous ways by Saul and his men, and yet God saw him through all of that. God saw him through the faithfulness of the seven years of his rule in judah after after saul's death and then ultimately in bringing him now to be the king over a united kingdom god has been faithful watching over him every single step of the way and david is an amazement at god's faithfulness christian let me ask you this do you understand that as faithful as great and as faithful as god was to david god planned our his faithfulness for us as well over every area of our lives, over salvation most certainly, right? In, the, in, in history, in eternity past, if, if we can use that phrase, I don't know that that's actually a great way of talking, but, but in eternity past, right, I think you get my point, right? Uh, before time, God planned uh, in himself to give us grace in Christ. And God's grace, if we are in Christ, hasn't left you and I. It's never left us. God's grace was planned, God's grace was planned prior to everything. And God has been faithful to you and to me throughout our lives if we are are Christians. God has been faithful to us. And even non-Christians, God God is faithful in bringing us if if we um, come to faith in Christ. I mean, God was the one who did that. God is the one who oversees even those who do not repent and believe in the gospel. God is faithful to them in a general sense. And yet for us who are in Christ There's a special grace given to us who are in Christ. There's a special grace given to us and that God has been faithful to us. God's grace was planned from all eternity past. And David is amazed, not just at God's faithfulness, But his faithfulness from where he's brought him from, Uh, he is amazed at God's grace, right? David's amazement at God's amazing grace led him then to pray, right? And and that's what David says. "Is like, look, God, because you have been so good and so faithful to me in the past, I, I now must praise you. I must now sing. I must now pray. I must now give thanks. It is amazing here. And I don't know if you know this because, I mean, um, sometimes it's hard to see because when we break up a chapter like this, it's hard to see. But if you go back to David, to the Lord's promises to David, do you know that what David prays back to God? Do you know that it is only one word longer? David basically takes the promise God gave him, turns it around, and he prays God's promise. Just adds one word, one word. It is an amazing reality that David takes God's word at face value. He takes his promise at face value. And it places him in the same vein as who? Abraham, right? And places him in that same vein. It was shaped like this, right, by David to respond thematically, right, to God and his promise. And so we read moving forward, right, uh, of, of this in Romans 5, 6 through 8 as Christians, right, we, we, are, we are reminded in Romans 5, 6, and 8 to feel the weight of God's amazing grace. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 5, 6, and 8. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But David doesn't just leave it in the past, right, saying, God, you have been faithful, right, you, you, you've always been faithful to me. But he also brings it into the present as well, the present tense. And that is in the form of the promises I've already said. David praised the promise that God just gave him back to God with only one word difference. And he says, he reminds God of what he has said and what he has promised. And Christian, let me say this. This is one of the reasons why you and I need to be praying scripture together, or, or uh, praying scripture as, as as you and I are, are called to pray. We are called to take God's word at face value and properly and 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 correctly right use that word to pray those promises back to God and not because he needs to be reminded of it but because we need to be reminded of it we need to be reminded of God's promises we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness we need to be reminded of what God has given to us and promised to us in Christ if we are in Christ and so I would ask you this morning do you feel the weight of God's promises that's been made to you in Christ do you feel the weight of those promises? You say, well, what do you mean by, by do I feel the weight of those promises? Do you, do, you, do you remember God's grace? Do you stand in awe of God's mercy to you? And to us that are in Christ, do you, do you feel the weight of, of God's absolute mercy by knowing that this came to us, not because we were good enough, not because we were right enough, not because we were moral enough, not because we were lovable enough, but because Christ chose to save sinners out of his sheer mercy. But what about those of you who may be here who, have, who, who, ha, who are not a part of God's promised covenant through Christ. He has made promises to those who will repent and call upon the name of the Lord. He says to those apart from Christ, even this morning, do not hesitate if you hear his voice calling you to come to Christ by faith. Do not harden your heart as in the day of provocation, he writes in the book of Hebrews. But come to Christ in repentance and faith. Believing in the finished work of Christ upon the cross. And Christ promises that you will be saved. And he says to us who are in Christ. Come and rest. Come and rest. And find your, the needed grace for you. Find the grace that you need. In your time. David in and in to different, in different time, at ten different times in this passage calls himself God's servant, and we need to remember that we are all but only servants of Christ. We are all only servants of Christ, called to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known to the world. But there is also a, another tense in which God will be faithful in the future tense here that David mentions here in verse 19. Look what he says. And, and, he, dealt, dwelt, and he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as the women as men. I'm sorry, that's, verse, that's, sorry, that's chapter 6. Uh, but And this this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, but you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is the manner, and is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now, David at some point grasps this, the significance of what God has promised to him. Does he grasp it fully? We don't know. But we certainly know that he does grasp the significance, at least in part, to God's promises here to him in chapter 7. How do we know this? Well, he talks about, uh, well, that God has spoken of his house for a great while to come, right? He understands that these promises that God has made to him previously in this covenant has has far-reaching, far-reaching effect. And that's why he says for a great while to come. Literally, the understanding here is, is the distant future. David says, God, I know that you have spoken of my house even way up into the distant future way off into the distant future. For a long time into the future, you have done this. And again, it places David in the footsteps of Abraham, who believed God, who believed God, and also the promise that God made to Abraham that now encompasses this promise made to David. And then David says something very interesting. In the King James, in the New King James, it is translated, And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Right, But I don't think that in the text, as you read it, I don't think that this is actually a question. Rather, the Hebrew literally rendered means, says this, and this is the law, the Torah of man or mankind, O Lord God. That's literally what it says. And this is the law, the Torah of man or mankind, O Lord God. It seems far more to be an exclamation point than a question mark. Right, but, the, but 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 whether or not, whatever, whatever the case may be, whether it is a question or whether it's an exclamation, the point is the same. David is exclaiming his surprise at God's grace. David is exclaiming his surprise at the grace of God. I think Dr. Kent Hughes in his commentary says, through Moses, the Lord had given the Torah for Israel, his law, and in his words to David, he had given the Torah for mankind. His promise to David, was amazing grace in Christ. Ultimately, that's where we look until we see God's future promises. In verse 21, to magnify God's word and God's will. In verse 22, to stir up God's praise for his greatness, right? And that's why he talks about he is the Lord God, the sovereign God, the, the sovereign Lord. He is incomparable. He is the only true God. And on and on and on and on and on David goes, listing all of God's greatness, listing all of God's beauty listen listen listening. all of God's 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 mercies that are found for us in Christ and and he does this not just to not just because God is worthy of this certainly he is but look with me in verse 23 what does it say of chapter 7 it says and what one nation in the earth is like your people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for your land before your people, which you redeemed to you from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. So in other words, David is reminding or God is reminding David, and David is, is reminding God's people of his faithfulness, to stir up their praise to God for his faithfulness to his people. Because look what he has done for them just in here in verse 23. He says God redeemed them. God used them to glorify himself by giving them a land, by freeing them from slavery, and by giving them victory over all enemies, right? But even more than that, do you notice what else he says? That in the phrase here that he uses in verse 23 from the nations and their gods. Here is what God is doing. God is exalting himself in the redemption of his people and he's proclaiming his greatness over all the gods of the nations, over all of the so-called gods of the nations. And God has has glorified himself in Christ or in in David and given this promise to David and by redeeming Israel by doing this, he has, done, he, has, he has proclaimed his victory over all of his, men, his enemies, but also his greatness over everyone who would exalt themselves against him. To that, we should immediately remember that that is ultimately what God did in Christ. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, we know that because Paul mentions this in, First, in Colossians chapter 1. Where he talks about that God has in Christ, through redeeming us, he has, he has taken away not just our sins and nailed them upon the cross, right, removing our our hand the handwriting of debt that was against us, but He also exalted Himself over every principality and power and 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 every every being who exalts Himself or exalts themselves against the God of heaven, so that as Paul would later say in Philippians chapter chapter. Uh, uh, 2 or 3 or 4 in Philippians anyways he says in Philippians chapter 2 i believe it is where he says that every knee not just us right you and i human or every human that's ever lived but he also goes on to say every 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 name every every knee will bow that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every knee and every tongue will confess So that includes not just the reality of us as human beings and those who are not in Christ, but it also encompasses the reality of the angelic and the demonic realms that exalt and the the demonic realms that exalt themselves against God and the rule of God. God says in Christ, He has already put them down. And God in Christ has done this glorious work. God in Christ has redeemed us, he has bought us, he has purchased us for his own glory. And God ultimately says that in, in David's seed, his covenant that connects back to Abraham and ultimately points us to Christ, he tells us that God has done this by his, for himself, for his glory, so that with his people he, he will be glorified forever and that they will be glorified. They will receive their whatever praise and whatever glory they have in, their, in, in the God of Israel, Ours is our, which is the same for us. Which is the same for us. But here's a second reality. Here's a second reality for us. Um, it's in, in beholding God's work. And that is beholding God's or God's greatness. In beholding God's greatness, it leads us to trust Him in our praying. In our praying. Um, there's a story told, and it's an old story. Uh, you've probably heard it many, many times. I've heard it used throughout throughout my life, oh, over and over again, from pastors to evangelists to, to everything. But uh, I think it does fit well to the to the reality of the need for us to trust God in prayer. Because David is praying to the Lord and he 's giving thanks to the Lord, and I think he reminds us of the the necessary uh, the, the necessity of giving praise and, and, and offering prayer to God for his greatness. but the story is told of of many years ago as the gospel penetrated uh, the the continent of Africa there, were, there, there was one region in Africa particularly where the first converts right, were, were delivered from from ancestor worship and, and, and paganism. And they, they came to faith in Christ, and they became very diligent about praying, so much so that they set up a place outside of the village where they would go pray, and they would, they would pray in, in their solitude, and they would know whether or not their, their brothers and sisters were being faithful, whether or not their path, their footpath was, in fact, had grass growing on it. And it said, again, I, I, I'm taking this at face value, right? I, I've, I've heard this many times and read this many times. And they would say, they, it was said that those who began to see their friends, their brothers and sisters in Christ footpaths that, were, that had grass growing on them, they were said to go to their brother or sister in Christ and lovingly warn them by simply saying, Friend, there's grass on your path. And brothers and sisters, whether or not that's true, I think it does point to a great reality for us. And that is this. You and I respond to God's greatness not certainly by worshiping him and certainly by praising him, but also in, in not neglecting our times and the importance of our praying and the, the importance of our times of prayer now certainly you, you don't have to spend like Luther did two and three hours in prayer on his knees right or or anyone else. But certainly we are called to remind ourselves by spending time in the word and in prayer of, of God's greatness. And, 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 and this is what David does here. David, David asks God here in our text, doesn't he? To fulfill the promise that he gives, that God gave to him, right? Verse 29, this is what it says. Therefore, now let it please you. To bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever, forever. In other words, what David is saying is, God, you have promised, and I'm going to believe you. I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. And you do what you've promised. I trust you to fulfill your promises. Christian, we are called to remember God's faithfulness and his mercy that men, that men praise God for his works, through, through not just through Israel and through the establishment of David's dynasty, but ultimately in the reality of God's name being magnified forever through his ultimate revelation, his son, Jesus Christ. Because there is courage, there, there's a request there that God keeps his promises, but there's courage in David's, in David's rem- reminding God of this, that God... I'm asking you and being so bold to ask this of you because you promised. I didn't promise. This isn't something I did. This is something you did. And so David asks God to keep his promise. He says, God, would you please do what you've already said you would do? He simply uh, prays back God's promises to God. A promise, by the way, that is ultimately kept in Jesus Christ. The promise that is ultimately kept in, in the Son of God becoming flesh, Jesus the Messiah. Because David ultimately pronounces something, and that is God's trustworthiness, right? Because he says, God, you have said this, it's pleased you to do this, and because of who you are and the God who is, the God who keeps covenant and mercy for your people and to your people, continue to do this. Do this. Do this. Because ultimately, the surety is in that it is God's word and God's promise that is spoken. So how do we how do we apply this? How 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 should we apply all of this? Because this is great, right? And ultimately, right. I, I hope that as we as we walk through the text, ultimately I hope you've seen Christ. You've seen Christ in our text. How he ultimately fulfills the promise that God gives David. But how, how do we how do we fulfill? How do we apply this? And and I'm not ultimately going to be able to apply this in every way. But I hope to give you a few small ways that this this can and, and I think should and does apply to us. First, is that we we should ultimately follow David's example in in praying. And what I mean by that is simply this. Brothers and sisters, let us use God's word, especially his promises, as as the basis for our praying. As the basis for our praying. Let us remind ourselves of God's promises. Let us remind ourselves of God's covenant and mercy that is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. Let us remind us that That it's 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 God's promises and not our feelings. It's God's promises and not our situations. It's God's promises and not whatever that we are facing. That is true. That no matter what we face, God's promise is greater to us in Christ. It's 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 an amazing story if you've never read it. The story of um, the story of of Polycarp who who was said to be uh, an apostle of or a disciple of the apostle John. Um, and John would go on. The Apostle John would go on and would appoint Polycarp as one of the bishops in Smyrna, and Polycarp would ultimately give his life there on the on the, uh, by being by ultimately giving his life for the for the cause of of Christ. But the reality is that 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 in all of this, Polycarp reminded the proconsul and all of those around him of why he could not forsake Christ that it was because Christ had been faithful to him and believer whether whether or not we ever face a a, a place like polycarp or an issue like polycarp the reality is no matter how bad our situation is we are reminded that Christ is greater Christ is better Christ is more Christ is glorious no matter what we may face in this life Christ truly is better and Christ is worthy and my point in point pointing out Polycarp was that during during his while he was getting ready to die, the proconsul was threatening him and telling him of everything he could do to him. And he said to him, he said to the proconsul, he said, "If you burn me, I can. Your fire will last but an hour." And the same is true for us. No matter what we're facing this morning, we can face it in the power of Christ and the hope of Christ. I think the second reality is this: pray. Pray that God would glorify his name. I think that's a a great reality for us to remember. I think we also need to pray boldly, right? David, again, in taking hold of God's promises, prays back the promises of God to God boldly. And we need to pray faith, in faith, in God's word, not just faith, right? Because you've got a lot of people that say, oh, just pray in faith and God will do whatever. Well, no, that's not what God's word says. God's word says pray pray according to his will. Right? And so we pray God's will by knowing God's word. And so we pray God's word back to him. And then ultimately with patience, because we don't know what God has in store for us. Right, We know that God is faithful, though. But here's a second way, I think, of, of not just praying. Right, Praying is one way, but I think there's a second way for us to apply this text. And that is, that is, that is actually, I guess, an A and a B, if you will, for, for, for us. One is is for those of us who, in, who are in Christ, remember where God has redeemed you from. Remind yourself, be reminded of God's grace and mercy that was given to you in Christ and given to me in Christ. And and remind yourself that you are no longer slaves to sin and to to death, but now are slaves to Christ. Brothers and sisters, I would say to us to, to come to him, all you who are Weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest for your souls. And I would say the same thing to those of you who may be here who are not in Christ. I would say to you, you are a slave to your sin. You are a slave to to your master, the devil, to your own flesh and your own desires. But God has given his son so that anyone who would repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ would be saved. And he would change you from being a slave to sin and, a king, and in the kingdom of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of light and make you a son and daughter of King Jesus. But I would also say this. There's think, there's one last way that we can apply this text, and that is this, in reminding ourselves, brothers and sisters, that now, right now, right now, we are experiencing what was promised to David. We in Christ now experience the ultimate promise that was given to David that we are now citizens of God's holy nation, heirs to the promises of God. We are heirs of the promises of God. God has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness in Christ. Let us look to him. Let us cling to him. let Let us flee to Christ. And let us know his power, not just to save, but also to comfort in our times of need. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word Thank you for the truth of your word. We praise you, Father, for your grace and mercy that is granted to us in Christ. And so, oh God, I pray now that you would help us to to stand in awe of who you are. And because of who you are, God, let us praise and sing and rejoice and shout for joy, God, for your magnificent mercy that has come to us now in Christ. Thank you for your promises you've given to your your servant David many years ago that have been ultimately fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So cause us to be Christ-centered and Christ-empowered, gospel-centered, gospel-empowered, spirit-empowered to go and proclaim the greatness of Christ to the nations. Help us, Father, to find our comfort in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name.